Amen. Thank you, Sam. Choir, Whitney Rose, thank you for leading us today, our instrumentalists as well. It's a blessing to gather today to worship and to celebrate what God is doing in our midst. And this summer, we are taking a journey of faith. And I hope what we've discovered or what we're discovering along the way is that the life of faith is a, it's a difficult life. It's a life with its ups and downs, its stresses and strains. In fact, someone compared faith to a muscle. Our faith only grows when we use it. And we know when we use our muscles, at times they can get sore and hurt. Uh, yesterday was a beautiful morning and we were able to get out and, and do some things in our yard and enjoy that time outside. And today I'm a little sore, I'm a little stiff because we use those muscles. And I think the same is a great comparison and analogy for our faith. As, as we use our faith, it can be a struggle along the way. But as we use our faith, it will grow and be strengthened and help us along the way. As you're aware, I hope you are, that we've been uh, taking this passage out of Hebrews 11, I believe around verse 32, and looking back into the Old Testament at some of the great stories of faith, particularly in the Judges. And today's is a story that we cover that's a, a very difficult story to, to look at. It's a difficult story to, to say, here's a man of faith. It's one that we might tempted to just tear out of the Old Testament and say, you know, we don't really like this story. But no. The Old Testament lays a foundation for us and offers an understanding of how God has revealed Himself through a people and how Christ came from that people to bring salvation and liberation and faith to all of us. So it is a story worthy of our consideration and of our wrestling with and, and fighting with to understand how Jephthah can be seen as a person commended for their, fa for their faith. So if you would, turn with me to Judges chapter 10. We pick up the story. It's the, the typical story of the Judges where the Israelites have have turned after the gods of the peoples around them and that are, are interspersed with them. And we see that at some point the anger of God rose to a point where God put the children of Israel into the hands of their oppressors, into the hands of the, the people whose gods that they served and they worshipped. In Judges 10, 13 after 18 years of affliction, after 18 years of being crushed and distressed by the gods and by the peoples of the nations around them, the children of Israel begin to cry out 18 years later in their affliction, in their oppression, in their distress. And the Scripture reminds us of the anger of the Lord and that he cried out to them, I will no longer deliver you. In fact, what the Lord said was, I tell you what, you've been worshiping the gods of these people for 18 years now. It's a repeated cycle and offense before me. I tell you what, why don't you cry out to their gods? And why don't you let them come and rescue you and deliver you? And the Lord, in that anger, demonstrated and illustrated that he came to that point of great frustration throwing his hands up 
figuratively and saying, I will no longer deliver you. But the people of God remembered. And in their unspeakable sorrow and in their affliction, they continued to cry out to the Lord and they confessed their sin and they repented of their sin and they cried out to God and they said, God, do to us whatever seems fit to you, whatever is good and right for you, do whatever. But please deliver us, please save us, please free us from the affliction and the distress at which we are suffering. The children of Israel cried out to their God. They repented. And the scripture tells us that they put away their foreign gods. They began to serve the Lord again. Unconditionally, with no guarantee that the Lord would respond, that the Lord would hear and turn and deliver them. But the people of Israel knew in that moment that they had forsaken God. And they knew they needed to turn away and to serve and to worship only God. And in a powerful and moving picture of who God is, the Scripture says that God, the Lord, that Yahweh, as He saw what was taking place, as He saw the oppression of His people, as He saw them repent and return with no promise of being delivered and redeemed, In chapter 10, verse 16, the Scripture says, The Lord can no longer bear the misery of Israel any longer. And that begins our story. For you see, the children of Israel had forsaken the gods of the peoples that they were serving. And it created a stir. It created a a notice in the the countries and among the kings around them that things were different and that the Israelites were returning to Yahweh. And this could not be good for the the conquering peoples. And so the king of Ammon, Ammon gathered his troops. He gathered his armies there in Gilead in that west eastern province or, or tribe of Judah on the east side of the Jordan. And they began to gather his armies to quell anything that might come up and to remind them that he was their king and that his gods were their gods. And on the west side of the Jordan, the tribes of Gilead began to gather they gathered because they believed that as they were faithful to God, that God would, would come and remember and hear, and that God would redeem. And so they gathered the armies to be prepared for whatever would take place. And yet as they gathered the armies of Israel together, there was a problem that arose. Okay, men, who's going to lead us into battle? Who's going to be our leader? We begin to understand the problem in Israel when no leader arose and there was no one to be found who would lead the armies against the king of Ammon. There was no one who would stand up and represent the Lord in this battle. There was none. So let's pick up the story in chapter 11. Now Jephthah The Gileadite was a valiant warrior, but but he was the son of a prostitute. 
And Gilead was the father of Jephthah. You, you would imagine that if your name was Gilead and you lived in a place called Gilead, that there might be some significance there. This was a, a prominent family in Gilead. Yet Gilead's wife had bore him sons, other sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Okay, we, we see what's going on, right? We understand. Jephthah is a threat. The son of a prostitute who the prostitute chose to keep Jephthah Delivered him to his father upon birth, it looks like. And said, here's your son. And yet Jephthah was either married at the time or married and had sons of his own. And they saw that Jephthah was a threat to them. Verse 3, so Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows gathered themselves about Jephthah and they went out about him or with him. It came out after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. And when the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob, and they said to Jephthah, Come and be our chief, that we might fight against the sons of Ammon. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why have you come to me now that you're in trouble? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, For this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon, of Ammon, and the Lord gives them up to me. Will I become your head? Will I become your leader? And the elders of Gilead, I suspect some of those brothers sitting around the table who were threatened by him earlier. So Jephthah said to the, for the elders of Gil, said to him, For this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go and fight with us with the sons of Ammon, and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. If you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon, and the Lord gives them up to me, will I become your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord is our witness between us. Surely we will do as you have said. What an incredible beginning to our story. You see, the story begins as the armies are gathering with no leader. They begin to ask and they begin to question who will lead us into battle. And there's no one among the people of Gilead, no one among the, the men of Gilead. And soon enough, in their desperation, the name of Jephthah rises to the top. A man rejected by his mother, a prostitute, rejected by his father and his stepmother. He was rejected by his brothers. Jephthah was an outcast in society. He was undesirable. He was illegitimate. And he was forced into exile in another country to fend for himself. He became and had a reputation as a raider and a marauder. And yet in that experience, we see his natural gifts as a leader and a warrior rise. As the scripture says that there was a band of Worthless fellows who gathered around Jephthah and went out with him 
as he developed his reputation. So to Jephthah, it is his brothers and the men of Gilead to whom they turn. Those who had rejected Jephthah are now pleading for him to come and to rescue them. They have promised to make him their leader if only he will help them gain victory over the Ammonites. You see, the rejected one becomes the accepted one and leads the people of God into victory. Jephthah takes on this challenge. He accepts this invitation to come and to lead, and he begins, as we continue on in the story in Judges 11, he begins shrewdly in negotiations with the king of Ammon. But the king would have none of it. And so we pick up the story in verse 29. This negotiation has gone on back and forth. The king of Ammon has disregarded the message and rejected Jephthah's efforts at peace. The scripture says, Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, then he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he went on to the sons of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, and he said to the Lord, If you, O Lord, will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then I shall be whatever then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's. And I will offer up whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me. I will offer that up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hands. I want to make an important distinction here. As this story gets deeper into the struggle that we're going to have. See, I believe that Jephthah is recognized and commended for his faith and leadership in battle. I believe that's why he's commended in Hebrews chapter 11. Look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 12. As I've been reading and preparing, I can't help but believe that this passage was a critical passage in the writer of Hebrews. The question, why did he pick these men to acknowledge and to commend for their faith? And when we go to 1 Samuel chapter 12, we see that, uh, that Samuel is addressing the nation of Israel and they have wanted a king. They've cried out for a king and ultimately Samuel and the Lord have relented and, and, and given them their king, Saul. And, and so now Samuel is addressing the, the children of Israel. And he's reminding them how God has been faithful to them and how God has redeemed and restored them. And he's reminding them how habitually they have turned their back on God and they have worshipped the gods of the people around them and they've cried out to God for help and God has redeemed them even though they have forsaken him. And then look at verse 11. Then the Lord sent Jerubal and Bedan. If you'll notice, there's probably a note in your Bible that, that references Bedan as Barak and Jephthah and Samuel 
and delivered from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. Now there's some notes in some of your study Bibles there that will note that, again, Samuel's giving the story. And so Samuel, it's interesting that Samuel would say, Then the Lord sent Jerubal and Barak and Jephthah and myself and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around. There's earlier texts, the Masoretic texts and some other texts that... that uh, uh, textual critics and archaeologists have discovered some of the earlier texts don't have the word Samuel there. They actually have the word Samson there. And so it's interesting that these four judges that are, if this is the case, this is the, the earliest manuscripts, it's that these four judges are picked up in Hebrews for their faith. And notice that Samuel tells us and describes to us what is it about their faith that God is commending? Second part of verse 11. That they were used to deliver the Israelites from the hands of your enemies so that you would live in security. So therefore, I want us to suggest that it's because of Jephthah's leadership in battle is the reason that he's commended. His military victory is the reason for the commendation. And I believe this is important to note because Jephthah's tragic vow is a vow of doubt and one that lacks faith. So let's pick up the rest of that story. It begins in... Let me, let me make a couple of comments before we get to the, the fulfillment of the vow. First, Jephthah's vow... It, I want to say is bargaining with God, an attempt that we all are guilty of at times, Jephthah bargaining with God instead of believing God. Notice that the victory has already been given to Jephthah. In chapter 11, verse 29, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon Jephthah. And yet in verse 30, Jephthah is trying to bargain with the Lord. Well, God, you know, if you'll give me the victory here, then I'm going to make this incredible sacrifice for you. God, if you'll just bail me out of this situation, you know, God, I've got a lot riding on this. I could be the leader of these people. I could get them all back if you'll just give me the victory today. And so Jephthah begins to bargain with God. It's conditional. Well, he's on the way to battle. He's still bargaining with God. Maybe it was the practice of religion of the religions in his land, in Moab and Tob, or because Jephthah had repeatedly suffered rejection and was always insecure in his faith and belief, but for some reason Jephthah in this moment was unable to believe or to accept by faith that God's word alone was sufficient to give him security and victory. He could not raised the faith that would say the victory would come. He felt he must bargain or negotiate with God to ensure the victory. Again, so much was riding. He would do whatever it took, including the sacrifice of whatever or whoever came out of his home first. You see, there was nothing more important to Jephthah than victory in that moment. In church, we must turn the mirror upon us. Because in so many different ways, we are like Jephthah when we try to bargain, to bargain with, to bribe and manipulate God to our own selfish ambition and our own ends. 
we must continually remind ourselves that God's favor, His grace, His mercy is a gift that cannot be earned. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 reminds us of this, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of our works, not of our sacrifices, not of our promises to God. God's grace is undeserving. It is the undeserved blessing of God's presence and of His power, of His wisdom in our lives. You see, God cannot be bribed. His generosity is simply to be received through faith. And as we continue reading those familiar verses in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 to verse 10, that out of His grace and mercy in our life comes good works, comes purpose, that we are to learn to walk in. God, the Spirit of God, dwelt in Jephthah. And he didn't have to bargain with God. He just had to receive God's, God's word of grace, his promise of good work that was to go and deliberate his people and just to walk in that in obedience and in faith. But instead, Jephthah's bargaining with God brought him to a great place of tragedy and sorrow. Now let's look at the rest of the story you see, an unnecessary and faithless vow made to God and the prideful determination to honor that vow regardless of the consequences led to one of the most tragic and horrific events in all of Scripture. You see, Jephthah's daughter, his one and only daughter, is the first to greet him at home. The conquering general and leader is coming home and his daughter learns that the procession is coming and in her excitement to see her dad and to welcome home the victor, she runs out to greet and welcome him home. And Jephthah realizes what he has done. And he blames his daughter. Daughter, you have brought me great sorrow and distress because you've come out to greet me. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. What do we do with this story as we read the rest of the story? There's some ambiguity in the text. So we want to acknowledge that at first. But as we read through the story, there's two possibilities that, that interpreters have, have tried to understand in this passage. The first one is the easier one to acknowledge and to address. The first one goes something like this, is that Jephthah ultimately did not sacrifice his daughter, but rather he sent her away. He sent her away to something that we might uh, refer to as a, as a convent, to live a life of virginity. In other words, there would be no offspring. There'd be no grandson for Jephthah. And she would bear the shame in that culture of not having a child. Jephthah's line would end. This is an interpretation that, that came out of middle-aged commentators and out of pastors even today that cannot bear the possibility that Jephthah would follow through with this sacrifice of his own daughter. Of course, the second interpretation is that Jephthah carries through with his promise. He sacrifices his daughter. He keeps his promise, a promise that follows the practices of the pagan religions around him, and of the gods that they were to have forsaken. 
demonstrating that Jephthah really never knew the heart of God, the one who had filled him and sustained him. Martin Luther puts it very simply. He said, one would like to think that Jephthah did not sacrifice her, but the text clearly says that he did. Can I meddle for a minute? You see, we're appalled by this story, offended by this story. How could anyone sacrifice their child? Yet how many abortions are committed each year in our community, in our nation, because the child is unwanted, unplanned, just an inconvenience? How many of us sacrifice our marriages? How many of us sacrifice our children? because of our relentless pursuit of careers, success, riches, and power. Who in your family is paying the price for your selfish and personal ambition and pursuits? What do we do with Jephthah's story? Again, I I believe that Jephthah is commended for his faith because of the the victory that he brought, the freedom that he brought to Israel. But I hope that there's more that that this story can be redeemed from. And so let me suggest four ways that I think that, that we can look at this story and that God can redeem this story for us. First of all, we redeem Jephthah's story when we understand that there's hope for the rejected. Jephthah If God can use Jephthah, one who was rejected by his parents, by his siblings, by his family, rejected by his peers and cast out to live in another place, if God can use this person, then God can use you and me. Maybe you can relate to Jephthah and his being outcast, born illegitimately, Maybe you've felt rejected by those around you. You've been cast out to to live life and defend on your own. You've carried this grudge, this chip, this downright anger and hatred all of your life. Maybe, just maybe, you've been like Jephthah and made horrific decisions in your life. Decisions that you cannot forgive yourself from. Decisions whose impact impact your life each and every day and those around you. Church, let me assure you that there is good news that God can redeem. God can forgive all of that. He can still call you into relationship. God still has a plan for your life. God still offers the promise of the indwelling of His Spirit in your life you see through faith you can experience forgiveness and hope and love and acceptance all these things that you long for but we must turn from our sin we must acknowledge and recognize that we too have hurt others we must be willing to acknowledge our own pain and our own hurt and we must respond to the lord's call to come home 
A second way I'd like to consider of redeeming Jephthah's story is, is that God calls us to obedience and to faithfulness, not to sacrifice. Even Samuel, the last judge, says this in 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey, to obey God is better than to sacrifice. Church, we must quit trying to bargain with God. We must quit trying to bribe God. We must quit trying to negotiate with God. You see, God doesn't call us to sacrifice God calls us to obedience. God, I'll offer you this sacrifice if you'll just fill in the blank. Hebrews 10, 11 says, Jesus offered one sacrifice for the sins of all time. You see, church, there are no more sacrifices to be made. Instead, we are called to discipleship. We are called to bear the name of Jesus in this world. We are called to obey and to be faithful to God's word and his call in our lives. Third, I want to make clear, as we talk about redeeming Jephthah's story, that scripture clearly rejects Jephthah's sacrifice. God clearly rejects this sacrifice. You see, we have to understand that the Bible often describes the events of a people, of Israelites, without prescribing their action. So while Jephthah is to be commended for his great military victory, he is to be rebuked for his vow and following through with it. You see, just because the Spirit of the Lord is upon us does not mean that we are immune from sin and poor judgment. Even, Christ, even as Christians, God does not save us from our mistakes and our sin. You see, God continues to allow us to fail to make really bad and at times hurtful decisions, decisions that can cost our families, ourselves, and our friends dearly. But let's be clear about what the Scripture says about this particular act. Deuteronomy 12, starting in verse 29. You shall not behave toward the Lord your God as the nations have towards their gods. For every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Jephthah surely understood and knew this scripture. Leviticus 5.4 Or suppose you make a foolish vow of any kind, whether its purpose is for good or bad, when you realize its foolishness, when you realize the foolishness of your words, of your vow, then you must admit your guilt and repent from it. You see, we are repulsed by Jephthah's promise and action. Yet how many of us are bound by a word or a promise that we know is not right or just? Yet our pride keeps us from owning up to our mistake and making things right. Men and women, our words are not infallible. So when we speak foolishly, when we make vows and promises that are foolish, we must admit our mistake, confess, repent, and do the right thing, remembering that two wrongs never make a right. Finally, as we look at Jephthah's story, my attention is drawn towards his daughter. In some sense, we are shocked by the response of a daughter who would submit to such a horrific act. A nameless victim 
of a violent, unjust culture. Jephthah's daughter, powerless. A powerless victim who demonstrated courage and faith. Today, we must find hope for the anonymous, powerless, oppressed, and victimized person by looking back at the cross. Let me, let me say that again. Hope for the anonymous, the powerless, the oppressed, and the victimized today is found as we look back at the cross of Jesus and His sacrifice and the salvation that was won for us because of that sacrifice. Yet in the Old Testament, hope and faith were found not by looking back to the cross, but by looking forward into the future, into the future where a Messiah, a Savior would come, as Isaiah would later reveal, a suffering servant. So let's again listen to these words out of Hebrews 11, verse 13 through 16. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. For Jephthah's daughter, we can only hope that her faith allowed her to see something in the future, a better life, a better country, a new life of resurrection in a heavenly place. This promise brings hope and redemption even to Jephthah's daughter. And even today, the anonymous, the oppressed victims of our world are hopeless and many times powerless to change their situations. Yet the cross and the power of the cross offers them hope for a better country, hope for a future, a heavenly one, if they will only believe. But this same power of the cross offers hope for today as well. Evil and injustice can be overcome. Healing is possible even today. But only, only if we by faith refuse to allow the victimization and oppression of others. You see, church, we must speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. We must act for those who cannot act for themselves. We must introduce and cultivate the kingdom of God in places where evil and darkness Rain. Where were the priests? Where were those who knew the scriptures going and confronting Jephthah and saying, Jephthah, this is not of God. Why do you insist to do this? You were wrong in your vow. Repent and save your daughter. See, church, today there is hope for the rejected, there is hope for the anonymous powerless victim today there is hope and forgiveness for all those who've given up on their children their marriages and whose lives are in shambles today there is the call to faithfulness and obedience to jesus christ church are you writing your story of faith is yours a story that will be commended by others a story of faith commended by God. Remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you received His gift of grace, of life, of forgiveness? For you see, this morning, each of us, each of us can continue or we can even begin writing the most important story 
of our own lives. The story of faith. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful, horrific story that we've encountered. I believe we've looked today to see how, how you could never, never come alongside of Jephthah's vow and what he promised and what he carried through. God, that we would see the inherent evil in that. And that we would then look honestly at our own lives and see where we've tried to bargain and make sacrifices for you and you just call us to receive, you call us to obey, you call us to walk in faith. God, give us that vision today. Give us that faith, strengthen our faith. And Lord, today I know that there's those here today who, who've felt the sting and the hurt and the bitterness, the anger of being rejected. And today may they know that you love them and you've accepted them and you've died for them. You've made the sacrifice so that they don't have to if they'll simply receive, believe, and walk in faith. In these moments, we stand to sing, but it's a time to, to reflect. It's a time to make our commitments to the Lord. I'll be at the front to, to receive those who God is stirring, those who would like to begin conversation or a time of prayer. Deacons and other ministers would be available as, as you would come forward as well. But as we sing, you be faithful. May God strengthen your faith even today. Let's stand and sing.